Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. How are we? Good. Hey, it's good to be with you all this morning. Uh, like Taylor said, my name's Austin. If we haven't met before yet, I'd love to just meet you, give you a high five, uh, introduce myself at some point after church or something. Um, but I uh, wanted to just kind of get you up to speed and maybe just remind you, if you've been coming for a little while, we've been in this series now for quite some time that we're just simply calling Life on Mission as a church. And what we've been doing over the last couple months is just asking the question, what does it look like really to be an intentional disciple of Jesus Christ? I think that's how you could say it. How, could, how can we participate in whatever it is that God is doing? And are, are we participating? Maybe it's the starting question for that. Are we even getting involved in what the kingdom is doing around us? Or are we more just being spectators watching it happen? I think the gospel invites us. It's an invitation to come and to participate in the renewal of the world that God is doing right now. And we've been looking at this over several weeks. If you've missed it, I would just invite you to get caught up on our YouTube channel. You can go watch all of them there on our website. Um, Last week, we spoke specifically about the topic of hospitality, that God is the ultimate host. God is the ultimate demonstration of hospitality in that he set his table, invited us in to participate with him. Even though we did not look much like him at all, he has still made a way for us to be with him. And in that charge, we're given this uh, commissioning really in the New Testament, all throughout the New Testament, to be hospitable to one another, to have a love for an enemy that would create space for them to not just be strangers, but to be family, to be close and to be friends. That's what we talked about last week. But this week, I want to take a little bit of a different step and talk about life on mission through the lens of creativity. So I just want to make sure that we really seat this message properly. This isn't some kind of one-off talk on being creative or on being maybe, a, if I could use a little more liberal term, artsy-fartsy this morning. That's not, that's not what I'm going for. What I want to be doing is I want to be talking about how we can see God's design for creativity in people and how we can embrace that mission of creativity so that we, make, we might just glorify God in the things that we do. And so that's my message today. Now I'm going to spend about 35 minutes trying to back it up and show you that in scripture. Um, Really to start with, I think creativity, it gets put into this kind of uh, neat little box in our culture. We think of creatives as the artists, as the filmmakers, as the, as the people who write music or who produce things. And, and that, yes, is absolutely a kind of creativity. Um, I even really, growing up, would have never have labeled myself as a creative, right? I, I've joked about this before, but I am a, I'm a uh, college graduate in health and exercise science. Come on, anybody else in the room? HES at CSU? Man, I was talking to somebody the other day and they're like, oh yeah, I'm on the sports med. I'm going, you know, I'm going, I got bigger medicine. I was like, oh, it's health promotion, which means I like, it was, there was nothing I could really do with my degree except for be a physical trainer, which you don't even need a degree for. That's the amazing thing. So anyways, this is just me lamenting a little bit that I have a very expensive piece of paper somewhere in my house. Um, anyways, um, I would have never thought of myself as being like stereotypically creative. I I would have never labeled myself that way. I I thought even uh, if you go back to my high school English class, I had this teacher, Miss John, and I'm sure she was great. At the time, I did not appreciate her as much as I could have. Um, I really, every time it came time to write or to turn in an essay, I really felt like her grading system must have been as elaborate as throwing all the essays down her stairs and whichever ones made it the furthest, those got an A and whichever fell at her feet, those got you know, a lesser grade. And because consistently week to week, we'd turn in an assignment and one week it'd be like, Austin, this was your best work. 
I'm, I'm, I'm amazed at what you've made this week. This is an A, this is the best thing. And then the next week she'd be like, Austin, what happened? I'm like, Miss John, I have no idea. <laughs> same brain, coming up with the same ideas, trying to put them in the same order that you're giving us in class. So I don't know why this one got a D and that one got an A. I'm doing the same stuff all the time. I'm not, I would have said, I'm not that creative. And then lo and behold, God has this job for me now where I have to create a talk every single week. I have to create a sermon. So like writing a sermon is this, it's this combination of um, opening up, like unpacking hopefully what the Bible says to be true. And then also like teaching that in a way that, that involves craft and skill. And so I'm sitting here going like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm this creative kind of person. But I, I, every single person in this room was made with creativity in mind. Uh, because God's character, we label him in a lot of different ways rightly. We, we describe his character in many ways. We say God is just, God is holy, God is loving, God is kind, God is merciful. And all of those are true, but we don't often describe God as creative. Even though he is the, the ultimate creator. Like there, there is no being that as, is as creative as God is. I mean, to start, God created everything out of nothing. That's different than the way that every single other person creates. Every, every single one of us, we have to take something that God has made, language, sound, uh, architecture, wood, elements, all these different things, to create something out of those elements. God is the only one who created ex nihilo. Out of nothing, he spoke into existence everything. And so when I walked into the church this morning, there was a picturesque, beautiful sunrise, and it was about 50 degrees outside, and it was perfect. And I just look at the beauty and the majesty and the splendor of our God who decided to paint that canvas in that certain way. As we'll look later on this evening as the sun is setting and it's beautiful, as I look at uh, just the intricacies of how he's made even all the way down to our molecules to work perfectly, all the way up then to how he's made galaxies and stars to interact, God made it all just by the word of his power. He just spoke and it happened. He's the ultimate creator. See, but a lot of people in today's day and age, they, they label Christianity differently. And I think, I think rightfully so sometimes. We seem to be a kind of people who are stuck in the past in some ways. I don't know if you were confused about this or not, but when you walked into the building or not, you did not think you were in, um, you know, like Silicon Valley walking into a Apple's headquarters or something like that because it's just beautiful and perfect. I know, like I think that in some ways we, we date ourselves, we, stuck, we stick ourselves in the past and, we, and I think there's roots and value in tradition. There's values in not being lavish and making everything just, um, just grand and, and picturesque and beautiful all the time. I think there's some good value in like authenticity. But what I'm saying is like, man, we as Christians have really been pegged as not that creative of people. And I think that's a couple of the, the, the mis, uh, misunderstandings of creativity that we have to deal with right at the front end here to go that, man, um, the rules of Christianity really stifle creativity and that the world uh, really is and should be more creative than Christians are. So the first one, um, I think actually rules and, 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 and restrictions and constraints actually bring about the most innovative and creative solutions. Uh, there's this pastoral podcast I listen to, Craig Groeschel. Uh, he's a leader of a, a massive church. Um, he says sometimes in a meeting, if they have to plan an event that has a, that has a budget for $20,000, he'll walk into the room and say, hey, the budget's now $2,000. Do your best. And he puts these constraints and he puts these barriers down on them so that his team has to just innovate and come up with different ideas. He, he brings about creative solutions by placing restraints. If I think about uh, back in high school, I don't talk about this a lot, but I used to be, uh, I used to play the tenor saxophone. Come on, can you picture it, right? Some Kenny G kind of stuff going on. I wasn't that good, never that good. 
Um, I, played in, I played in jazz band. And jazz band, like if you think about jazz, um, the way that jazz is really like made most beautiful and most awesome is not by the perfect adherence to the rules, but the fact that the rules exist and the musician can kind of bend things like melody, bend things like, like tempo. And that's what makes jazz innovative and creative and clever. And so you think about, man, the presence of rules, I don't think it, I don't think it stifles creativity. I think it's, it creates the burden to create. Does that make sense? When we're given these, and so the Bible, yes, it has rules. It has, it has things. And I'm not saying the, the analogy with jazz music kind of breaks down there a little bit because I'm not saying we should play with them and bend them so that we can get creative. That's not at all what I mean. I'm just saying the Bible, Christians, we're not limited because of what God says we can and cannot do. I think actually that is giving us invitation to step into the fullest version of life and to create in the most beautiful kind of way in relationship with the creator. The other lie that secularism will teach you is that, you know, like a lot of, you think about just Darwinism, uh, only the strongest will survive. Think about kind of Darwinist evolution uh, idea that it's like, man, it's survival of the fittest out there, which then puts our creativity into this box where uh, if you don't create, you die. If you don't innovate, someone else is going to innovate faster and they're going to take over. They're going to win out. And so really, like secularism, I think, creates this platform for creativity to exist as a means of survival. So if you don't innovate, if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. And everyone else is just innovating past you. And maybe, maybe there is a level of truth in that. But my, my, my thought this morning is that only a relationship with Jesus allows us to create out of the identity that he has given to us. And only, only Christianity gives us this invitation to be creative like our Father who is in heaven is creative. So if you, if you think about how the, the creation story, that's where I want to start the message today, really, is we go into Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26. This is after God has just spoke and made all the stuff, right? He's spoken, he's made everything. And then it says, and then God said, let us make man in our image. That word is significant there. No other thing in the created order is made in the image of God. God made it out of the overflow of delight, out of the abundance of his good character. He spilled that onto the blank canvas of creation, made everything. But human beings are the only ones that are made in the image of God, in the image of God, meaning that we are to resemble him in the things that we do and we are to replicate his character wherever we go. We are image, barrier, or image carriers, ambassadors for him. He says, they're image bearers made in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. So now he's not just making them in a certain way, but he's making humankind with things to do. He says, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And Genesis 2 says, I'm just going to kind of walk through the creation story here. It says that when mankind was first formed, it says the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. So you and I are the only, like human beings. Uh, this is just a good time to acknowledge. Um, you know, Katie and I, we just got a few weeks ago, we're the proud owners of a new sheep-a-doodle puppy. <laughs> I know, I know. And he, it is on most of the time until it's not on. I want to, you know, kill him. Um, I feel like that's every dad's relationship with a dog. It's destined to be that way, but, um, he's great. 
He's this little, if you don't know, it's, he's a mix between an old English sheepdog and a poodle. He's hypoallergenic. He's going to be like 40 pounds. Hopefully he'll be perfect for our family once he can learn some of the rules as in don't bite the stuff, don't bite the kids, don't eat that thing, and you go, bathroom out, go to the bathroom outside, right? Um, here's, here's my point. What am I bringing this up? Uh, he's great. I think dogs can actually make good companions. I think like the vision that God had when he was making canines, if you can even believe this, was to, to, be, to be friends, but they're never meant to replace the relationship that humans were meant to have with one another. Like that was God's ultimate vision. He, he looked at all the relationship as he's going through the creative order and he's trying to make a helper suitable for Adam. And he's like, not gonna cut it, not gonna cut it, not gonna cut it. And then he makes Eve. And Eve is, is this gift to Adam to co-labor, to, to co-rule with him, to be the, the, the partnered person in their, in their endeavoring work to bring about the creative nature of God into the world we're living in. And so the Lord God gave them not just a helper. He didn't just give Adam a helper. He gave Adam, a, Adam and Eve a place. It says in 2.8, then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. So Adam and Eve are placed, they have a location, they're given a task, they're given help and their charge is to be fruitful and multiply and to take the earth and to subdue it. So take the raw elements of this world, take the chaos of all this creation that I just made and put order to it, subdue it, cultivate it so that it might thrive. I mean, you think about all that this would imply eventually, that, that they weren't just supposed to see trees, they were meant to be craftsmen and to be architects and to build things. They would take probably the element, I mean, just like people have done, taking the elements out of the ground to make roads and sidewalks and to take like steel and, and copper and wood and make homes. You think about how they have the raw elements of, of sound, like God made sound to be a certain way and to function a certain way. And then the way it functions is it, it gets ordered then and all that sound gets put into order so that it, it sounds pleasant and there's melody and there's keys. Some of you, like sometimes my wife's like, you need to know what the key is right now and it, this would just all be better for us, you know? <laughs> there's these different aspects you just go through and, and the gift to mankind is to take the raw elements of the world around us and to make beautiful things out of them, not for ourselves, but because that's the very character of God is to make beautiful things where beautiful things are not. So they're given a garden. In Genesis 2.15, it says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Genesis 2.18, then the Lord said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. And this kind of, now in Genesis chapter two, we get to zoom in on the creation story and we get to see how Adam and Eve are functioning in the garden. And then obviously it would all be good. And I think it would all be perfect. And maybe even in your just redeemed imagination, you can picture heaven as, as unhindered, unhindered and untainted creativity where you and I are gonna to get to live on this earth without the effects of sin, without the selfishness that we all have, without the, without the frustration of work. And what we're going to do is we're going to cultivate and we're gonna create and we're gonna to continue to labor in a way that's not exhausting, but we're gonna do things with our hands and we're gonna make things with our minds and we're gonna be in perfect union with Christ. That's, that's this restoration of Eden. That's beautiful, isn't it? Again, just going back even to Taylor's message a couple weeks ago, that's a lot different than you and I just sitting on some cloud cruising around for the rest of eternity. 
No, there's this, there's purpose and there's task and there's life and there's this, there's this relationship with God. So, but then Genesis chapter three, unfortunately does happen. And this is the world that you and I all live in today. There's a few things that the fall brings about specifically. The start of Genesis chapter three is labeled the fall of mankind, where Adam and Eve choose deliberately to go against the will of God. And in as, as they do such, they bring sin into the world. And there are a few, uh, there are a few consequences, uh, a few main consequences because of that action, because sin is now a part of the equation. The first thing that it brings and the most significant thing it brings is separation from God. I mean, you see this, the, the moment they sin, it says their eyes were opened and they realized they were naked and they felt shame. And what did they do? They hid themselves. It was the first time ever that they had stepped away from God, moved from him in their fear from him. And that it's bookended. The story is bookended with the fact that Adam and Eve are then expelled from the garden, from the presence of God. So the, the first consequence of the fall absolutely is our separation from God. The second consequence is now pain and death. An animal first has to give its life because God is gonna clothe them. He's merciful and he's kind. Even though they have the shame that they're naked, he moves towards them and says, no, I'm gonna cover you. And, and, and Eve's pain is multiplied in childbirth and death is now part of the world that we're living in. You see this in Cain and Abel, their offspring, right? And there's the first murder that's recorded there. So there's the consequence of pain and death. And we certainly feel that sting in the world that we're living in today. Uh, the, other, the other consequence would be hostility and relationship that the Lord speaks to Eve and says, you're gonna have this desire to lord over your husband, to rule over him. And it's, it's not gonna be that way. And so there's this friction now, this frustration in human relationships. And this, this is something we all know about today. It's not just in marriage, but it can be in, in parent and, and offspring. It can be in friendships. It can be in coworkers. But the human existence wasn't always envisioned this way. We were made to live with so much more peace and so much more unity, but because of sin, we have now all of this hostility in relationships. And the last thing that is brought about because of the fall is the frustration of work. I just love reminding us all the time that work in itself is not a curse. Work is not something that you were just born to eventually escape into retirement one day. No, but work is this gift by God given to you so that you can bring about purpose and you can find, uh, you can find significance and you can see the meaning that God has given you. See, un, see some of the gifts that he's put in you and you can use those hopefully to glorify God. But the product of the curse is that the ground now produces thorns and the, the work is now uh, frustrating. Work is now toil, it's hard. And so when I think about what we as Christians are called to do as we're trying to look at where to bring about our creativity, I look at that list right there because we don't, we don't just live in a Genesis chapter three world. We live in a post-crucifixion, post-resurrection world where Jesus has paid for that sin. He has dealt with the punishment of sin and he's now beginning to usher in this age, usher in his kingdom of abundant, everlasting life. And so our privilege now as Christians is to look at this list, look at everything that sin has brought into the world and we can use now our redeemed imaginations to go, God, how can I creatively exert myself to bring about the reversal of this curse? And so I can go, okay, man, people have been separated for God. How can I become a storyteller? How can I make movies? How can I, how can I um, tell it in a certain way? How can I explain the gospel in a certain way? How can I take words and put them in a certain order so that people might see you? And we can go, okay, I, I, wanna, I wanna use my creativity to bring an end to people being separated from God. 
the consequence of pain and death. I was talking to this uh, young guy just a couple nights ago. He goes to our church here and he's about to take his MCAT. He's gonna try and be a doctor. I mean, what a, what a beautiful vision that he is gonna get to participate in redeeming some of the hurting and brokenness and pain and death that's happening in this world by being a doctor. But you don't have to just be a doctor to try and bring about uh, the end of pain and the end of death. Uh, you can sit with people who are experiencing loss. You can take people a meal and maybe for just a moment in the middle of their grief, you show up with just some hot casserole of some kind. And for a moment, they forget for just a second what kind of pain they're in. And you can use your creative imagination to bring about an end to some of the consequences of sin. You know, like I, hostility in relationships. Uh, there are tons of relational books out there. And listen, like I'm, I'm sure Dr. Phil has got some good ideas, right? I'm sure he does. But what a more beautiful way to try and bring about reconciliation or restoration into a relationship than just rather than, rather than tuning into the minds of the age that we live in for some help, what if you just stopped for a minute and prayed? And, and you just go, God, I wanna, I wanna invite your imagination into this. I wanna, I wanna, would you kind of unlock that, that kind of innovative, creative, problem-solving kind of thinking? And can I see how you would wanna solve this today? It brings about this humility. It brings about this, this uh, just desire to participate in whatever it is that God's doing. God, I, I want this to be fixed because you desire this to be fixed. I, I want this, to, to this people to walk in unity because you would desire us to walk in unity. Help me see how you would restore it, God. You think about the frustration of work. I, I think one of, the, one of the most pivotal things all of us could embrace is that nobody just has a job. You might say, I don't know, I can't wait to get out of this job. Like it's, it's just a thing I'm doing right now to get through school or it's just, a, it's just the entry level thing that I could get right now with my degree. Nobody just has a job. You were placed by God in that vocation for however long God would have you there so that you could exert yourself, so that you could use the gifts that God has given you so that you might bring about creative solutions. See, because the fall, as much as secularism wants to pin creativity in this kind of like, well, it, Christians are pretty lame at creativity and really it's because, um, you know, they're kind of trapped in their rules or, or really, you know, they just don't want to innovate to survive, whatever. Um, if you come over here onto a Christian worldview, I would say, man, the secular world is, is, is right to an extent that we all have lost a bit of our creativity because of the fall. We all have. Um, and, and mostly, yeah, like, like you can think about this in terms of, of, of how we have this word that David likes to use, iniquity. We have this bent towards unrighteousness that's in us. And, and I think we make a mistake when we teach about like depravity or iniquity or sin sometimes as the church. And we teach that like, man, you are totally depraved. As in like you, every part of you is bad. You, I mean, you, you might even say to yourself, man, I, you know, I've got like an atheist neighbor and he actually doesn't totally suck. You know, like he's actually a pretty nice guy. It's because not every part of us is wicked, but what that means is, is we're unable to save ourselves on our own power, right? And so when you start to think about how, how, how sin has tainted our creativity, um, I, sometimes I gotta look no further than, than my own kids, <laughs> right? I'm gonna, I'll pick on them probably for the rest of my life, you know, hopefully with their permission, some give and take. Um, but man, we have a 10, eight and a four-year-old. And so when, they're, when, like, when stuff goes down at our house and tears are flowing and, and somebody's in trouble, with, when, it's, when it's Haven, when it's our four-year-old, like she's four. I, I can kind of see through her schemes to know, no, honey, you're guilty, <laughs> you know? It's like you broke the rules and we can all tell, you know? Um, 
But man, I'll tell you what, maybe some of you that are parents in the room, you've experienced this too. My eight and 10 year old, man, they're getting even a little more shady than I can keep up with sometimes. <laughs> you know, I'll, we'll, hold, we'll hold dad court sometimes where it's like, man, we have two conflicting views because something happened in the basement. We have an argument. We have a tussle of some sort. They'll come on up and I'll go, okay, I'll weigh the cases. I'll say, you present what happened. You present what happened. Do we have any evidence? You know, and then, and I'm just like, man, at the end of the day, I don't know. I don't know who did it. Like, man, you just look at human beings and how creative we've become just to get out of a consequence sometimes. We'll exert all of our sort of innovative effort to make sure that we don't feel the ramifications of our bad decisions, you know? Now, what, I mean, what about the movie, uh, this will date me just a little bit. What about the movie, Catch Me If You Can, right? Leonardo DiCaprio, right? He's like this con man. Do you ever just look at criminals and you just think to yourself, man, if you just exerted half the effort into a decent job rather than crime, like you, you'd be a huge contributor to society. Do you ever think that to yourself? But no, like we do have this bent. We do, we do use, because again, we are image bearers of God. All people are image bearers of God. Not just Christians, everyone. Man, this puts so much intrinsic value on every single life. Everybody has value. Everybody has worth because we are made in the imago Dei, in the image of God. And we, and we tend to use our creativity, maybe sometimes for just total wickedness, right? I mean, I even think about how much effort, I think I was thinking about this the other day, like, like uh, gosh, I, don't, I can't even remember what the platform's called, Tinder or whatever, like whatever that hookup site is or whatever they are. I'm like, how many people just exert so much like creative effort to make themselves look a certain way so that they can sleep with somebody? I mean, there are definitely some bent towards destruction ways that we demonstrate creativity as people, isn't there? Okay, but there also is a lot of ways we bend ourselves really just towards selfishness. And it doesn't look overtly wicked or it doesn't look overtly evil, but we really are just trying to build a life or trying to put something together so that we get all the attention. This really is the story of the Tower of Babel. Where the story of the Tower of Babel starts with um, them saying, hey, let's make a, a tower for ourselves and let's make a name for ourselves. So they're not, they're not building out of this overflowing relationship with God. They're building so that they might become more famous, more known. And so they put this big tower together and God scatters them all with language. And he says, man, but I mean, you just see in that story, the, the creative potential of humankind. And you think about like all the different things that have been made. Like it was, it was not that long ago that we didn't just have, like this iPad magnetically attaches to this case and it charges through the case somehow. I will never understand that for the rest of my life, how that works. But golly, are some people so stinking creative in the world we live in, you know? The question though is, who are you creating for ultimately? Are you creating? Are you, are, are you trying to reconcile the relationship? Are you trying to tell somebody about Jesus? Are, are you trying to build up your work? Trying to make this prestige, make this value, build up this income to spend on you, to have for you? all for selfish reasons, or are you building it up for the kingdom and for the glory of God? Because God won't be mocked. God won't be mocked. He's the good giver of all gifts, all gifts that humankind has. He's given them. But the, the wickedness of man is that we've taken those and we've tried to build up all these things for our own renown, rather than let those things be instruments to proclaim the glory of God. There's this great story of Johann Sebastian Bach. 
Bach was a famous composer several hundred years ago. And uh, I did some research on him this week, was reading some stories about him. Uh, Bach began interacting with music first from stealing his brother's choir music. How awesome is that? I think his older brother, I think it said was like an organist. And so during the night he would sneak in. His brother didn't want Bach, uh, uh, maybe Johan is his first name, right? Johan? Well, anyways, okay. Didn't want Johan having the music. Didn't think it was, it was uh, he didn't think he was old enough or mature enough or good enough to be having access to the music yet. So Johan would have to sneak into where it was locked up at night and he'd steal it and then he'd copy it all down, return it, and then he would practice it during the day. So, so Bach then over the years, I mean, he grows up and he starts composing now. He starts putting music together. And even to this day, he's probably still one of the most influential composers of all time. And, and he's, he's doing all this stuff. He actually gets a job at a church um, as an organ player. And he gets fired because the music that he's writing as this composer, as this writer, as this author is too flashy for the church and it detracts from God because of its, uh, how flashy it is. I don't, listen, I don't know if you've listened to much Bach recently, but flashy would not be one of the ways that I describe it. It's beautiful. It's amazing. I don't understand all of it. Flashy is not a word that comes to mind. But he's, he's, he's kicked out of the church that he's working in. And he goes, what, what do you mean? Like, it's too flashy. He's like, as I'm writing this, there's like a quote where he says to the extent of, I can feel my soul praising God as I put this music together. Yeah, and so, and so Bach, his, his prayer, like all of his life then becomes, God, I don't, I don't want to be known for this music. I want, I want it to glorify you in some way. And so he actually signed almost every sheet of music he wrote. In the bottom right-hand corner there, you can see it says the words, soli deo gloria, which means to the glory of God alone. Almost every piece, he signed it with that. That's one of the five solas that came out of the Reformation. Sort of these five things that make up the close-handed view of, of what the Reformations, the Protestants uh, were after in that time. Um, the inerrancy of scripture. So uh, sola scriptura, it's, it's by scripture alone. Scripture is infallible. Scripture is our guide. It is right. It is true. It is good. Christ alone. Um, we are saved by Christ's work on the cross alone, his resurrection alone. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, all for the glory of God alone. Here's, here's what's crazy. Bach's music didn't actually begin to gain popularity, popularity until about a hundred years after he passed away. And so you just think it's like this gift from the Lord where he's like, I don't want this music to be about me. And God's like, all right, it's, it's beautiful and it's awesome and it's wonderful and people are going to hear this story and so I'll just wait till 100 or so years after you're dead and then I'll, and then I'll do what I'm going to do with it. And I think the question for each of us in this room is, man, what, what are you cultivating and who are you cultivating it for? What are you making? What are you making? Are you making beauty in relationships? Are you trying to, I think we should all be uh, rehearsing and practicing and telling our testimony, even if it's just to ourselves. And we all should be storytellers. We should, all, we should all be able to give a sound defense for our faith, for the reason that there is hope in us is what Peter says. He says, man, we should all be storytellers, able to tell of the good things that God has done. And, and this is only really gonna happen if you embrace that at the core of who you are, you were made by God to be creating something in the world. Ephesians 2, eight through 10. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift from God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. 
for we are his workmanship. That word workmanship, it's the same word that we get the English word for poetry. You are his poetry. You are his masterpiece. You think about like, uh, maybe some of y'all wrote some really lame Rome, uh, poems in a, in a Valentine's card one, one time or another. But man, I, I think when God's writing this down, when, when this is being written down in Holy Scripture for us, it's not this like, he's, we are his poema. We are his poetry. Like every syllable and every sentence is, is put there by design. Every word is picked with intentionality. So you were made by God, knitted together fearfully and wonderfully. We don't all have the same gifts, but we all have been gifted uh, in some way by God to do something for his kingdom. This again plays into the idea that there are no spectators in the kingdom of God. You were made to, to infuse your redemptive imagination into every sphere that you find yourself in. Whether that's somebody who's far from God and you begin to wonder, how could I tell them the gospel? How could I put prose together so that they do this? So they understand this. How, how, how can I, in this relationship, see God, your redemptive beauty come in when there is no hope? How, how, can, I, um, how can I cultivate my work? I'm, I just do this for, like, I'm just a plumber. I'm just a mechanic. I'm just, I just write code on a computer for a living. Like, what do you mean? You can do all of that for the glory of God. All of that you can do for the glory of God. Maybe it's just in the way that you work with excellence. Maybe it's the way that you balance a good work uh, rest rhythm in your life. There's so many different ways that you can infuse what God has done and what God has revealed to us in the scripture so that we might make his name great. Colossians 3.17 says, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord. Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Psalm 115.1 says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name, give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. I think all of this is kind of summarized neatly in Jesus's words for us in Matthew chapter five. Matthew 5, 16 says, in the same way, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works, so they may see the things that you do and not, not, lift you up on some pedestal, not think at the end of the day of how awesome you are, not see your giftedness as being uh, transcendent and beautiful and awesome, not just seeing you at the end of the day, but they would see the things that you do. And as a result, they would give glory to your father who is in heaven. They would give glory to your father who is in heaven. Uh, this is, if I could wrap it all up like this, we can be creative for the glory of God and he will bring people to himself because of it. So I, I, don't, I don't know what it looks like for each of us. I know I'm, I'm thankful that, man, as a church, we're to continue to pursue um, creatively telling the gospel, creative writing about it in songs. Caden actually just graduated. He's not gonna be the one to tell you about this, so I'll tell you about this. He just graduated from a worship school for the last 18 months. He's been doing weekly meetups and then going down to the springs to just learn and to get better at things like songwriting, things like cultivating a team. We're trying to grow in this because we believe uh, there aren't enough songs about Jesus yet. There are new and fresh and beautiful and awesome ways to tell the story of what he's doing in this world. Like we could keep singing of his love for forever. And so we should keep coming up with new words to say. Not that saying the old words over, I think there's beautiful things in tradition and having things that are memorized and having things that are these kind of uh, memorized or just mechanical things in us. I think that's a good gift, but I think it's also important. How many times in the Bible does it say, sing a new song to the Lord? So we're gonna keep pursuing this. We don't even know what it's gonna look like. We're gonna keep trying to write music. We're gonna to continue to try and make videos and try and do things so that we can continue to proclaim the excellencies of who God is and what he's done. 
and what he's doing and what he can do right now. But more than that, more than what we're going to try and do as, as a church, just that, that, all that to say, man, if you're a creative kind of person, you want a place to belong, I, I don't think you should have to go try and find your creative gifts expressed in the secular world only. I think we got to have a space here in the church for us to try and make art or make beautiful things for, for the kingdom of God. But mostly what that's going to look like for us non-creative type people. I mean, you, you could put me into a room with a set of paints and a canvas and, and I would be in there forever until I died before I had something that was worth looking at, you know? And for all of those of us in that space, my invitation today is that doesn't mean that you weren't meant to be creative. Each of us were meant to step into the hurting, broken uh, places of this world where the sting and the pain and the shame of sin have been felt. And we're going, we need to go into those spaces going, God, I want to get in touch with you, the ultimate creator, and I want to look at how you want to breathe new life into this. I want to look and ask how you can redeem this situation. How can you take what the enemy wanted to use for evil here? And how can you bring about your good right now? Whether that's in work, in the thing that you're building at work. Uh, maybe it's in the way that you're cultivating a team at work. Maybe it's just in the, your relationship at home. Uh, maybe you're, you're a stay-at-home mom. Gosh, do you need some creativity in how you're going to do this in this age? Like public school was an option. Now you don't feel like it is an option and you're, you're just kind of stuck doing this on your own and you never signed up for this and here you are. Man, pray to the spirit of God that you would have some sense of creativity on how to teach your kids things that you don't know that much about, right? It, every single one of us can come before Jesus and say, God, you made everything. You just spoke. You have the power to do it all. How do you want me to demonstrate who you are? How can I reflect your character right now? How can I represent your goodness right now? I was made in your image, God. How can I carry you with me into this space so that I might bring about a redemptive solution right now? Help me, help us all have a redeemed imagination to see the things that God could do, not just what's happening in front of us right now, right? So because all of us have a different space, a different dream, a different area, a different problem to solve, I just want to take a second before we leave today, just take a minute or two to ask the Holy Spirit to give us that kind of creative mind or that kind of imagination that would vision, have a vision for things the way that he would have a vision for them. So maybe it's your work that God will put on your heart. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's uh, someone who you know is sick, someone who you know is dying. Maybe it's somebody uh, that you just know is far from God. And you can just go, Holy Spirit, would you give me something. And so I just want to leave a space here at the end of the message for you not to just listen to me to come up with ideas for you, but for you to actually listen to the Holy Spirit for him to give you something. And so if we could all just kind of quiet our mind, quiet our heart, close our eyes, even if you want to just open your hands, uh, just to posture yourself to say, God, I'm, I'm ready. I'm eager. Would you give me a picture? Would you give me something? And we just say, Holy Spirit, would you come and would you speak to us now?
God, I pray that you would raise us up as a people to be innovative and clever, wise. Would we, would we, see, would we see solutions to problems that other people can't see because of our relationship with you? God, I pray that you would give us vision and would you give us um, hope? Would you help us see that you're not done working, that you're not done moving? And would we be in touch and in tune with who you are and what you're doing in this world? God, I pray that as a house, we would be continuing to learn more about being creative in Jesus' name so that we might make your name known to anyone who steps in this building. God, and I pray that as a church, we as a people, as a family, God, would we, um, would we be on the front line of bringing about your kingdom, bringing about solutions to, to things that people could never have thought of, that maybe even we could never have thought of, but it's just a total gift from you. God, I pray that you give us words and pictures and ideas and conversations. Would you give us, um, would you give us practical means to go step in and help people who need help? Would you help us use our redeemed imaginations to see what it is that you want to do in the world we're living in? Church, would you, would you stand? God, we just ask that even as we leave here today, uh, would you just keep speaking to us? Would you keep giving us ideas? I don't know if we need to get into a journal as we leave here today or if we need to just get into a conversation with somebody. Maybe we need to write a text as we're leaving here today, but God, would you be in all of it? Would your Holy Spirit just direct and move and, and, and give, give pictures, give ideas to us as we're going about our week? I pray that this wouldn't just be a Sunday idea, but would it be something that shows up in our mind and that we have uh, coming close to our heart uh, on Wednesday and on Thursday this week? Would we continue to see new ways to express your goodness in the world we're living in? I pray that we wouldn't just um, leave here thinking about man, what you spoke that one moment in service, but would we uh, be in constant relationship with you, constantly hearing your voice as we step out of here today. And uh, yeah, God, we pray that you would keep making beautiful stories out of broken situations, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.